Hello and welcome to episode 217 of the Crate and Crowbar. I'm going to sneeze. Hello and welcome to episode 217 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 30th of November 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Good evening, such morning, depending on when you're listening. Indeed, or, or afternoon, afternoon, perhaps. Or lunchtime. Uh, it's just you and I for now. It is. Tom, because of a... Because, uh, well, Pip's not here, physically. So that's why that can't happen. Mm. And, um, and Tom F is a little bit under the weather. So apologies for... Uh, a mono tom experience but i you know i i you know i've i i'm a big fan of both both the mono and duo tom stereo tom approaches to podcasting but yeah get well tuned soon get well tuned som get well tuned som <laughs> we're starting off as we could we do do this all the time i know why are we struggling i don't know it's uh, it's because black friday's happened and i'm destroyed yes we're all we, yeah i hope you enjoyed uh last week's uh pod special with uh a, a different mono tom experience the tom francis experience with guest zach and kevin from asymmetric yeah that's which, nice, isn't it? uh stepped in to uh bail us out during what can only be described as uh black friday work apocalypse yeah it's horrible it's over now though so <laughs> next year so i know more bargains tom uh i kind of i live in fear that they'll do a black friday in march or something <laughs> an equivalent you know just yeah. uh, six months away omega wednesday oh that's the noise you'd make about it it's yeah. the noise i'd make it's yeah uh, anyway, video games. There video games, yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about the video game news. And so one piece of news that came out yesterday, I think, was a pretty substantial update on the future of Destiny 2, mm. which is a PC game, and we can talk about it now. Ooh. So uh, this was interesting because they are explicitly addressing stuff that you and I have talked about, we've talked about it on the pod. Uh, everybody I know who plays Destiny, who played Destiny 1, has experienced, mm. which is that the game is very good. One of my highlights of the year. But it also sort of ends. Absolutely. I've not played it for many weeks. And normally, like, Destiny 1 was always, you know, I'd, mm. I'd drift away from it for a month, but I'd come right back to it. And they've, they've explicitly said they want to fix this. They want to, they want to make changes for the people who want Destiny to be their hobby. Mm. And I've got mixed feelings about this because I don't have the bandwidth to have the relationship with Destiny 2 that I had with Destiny 1. No. And I think it was you that said on this podcast that it was actually quite nice to play 60 hours or something and say, I had a good time and I don't have to keep playing this. Yeah. And you can come back for the expansions, like whenever mm. they do an expansion. Which is like next week. For, yeah, next week. And so you can come back for two, three, four weeks and then sort of drift away from it again. I think that's a perfectly fun, good, healthy relationship to have with the game. Um, and also I think they're a little bit unfortunate that the expectations, I mean, they are responsible for this as well, but the expectations around Destiny among their audience are that it's a persistent game, but people have still paid the price for a normal game for it. Like it's, they've not paid extra for this ongoing infinite content that people want. Yeah, so yeah. they've bought the forty dollar game, and if you if I buy Wolfenstein, for example, I'm very happy with having like a ten twelve hour experience out of that, and I could put it on the shelf, and you know I, I feel like like I've got what I wanted out of it. But I've had like thirty five hours, forty hours of great time with Destiny two, um, and for me, I'm quite satisfied by that. But the community is obviously desperate for more, and there's that, there's that expectation yeah. isn't there around it? That's so different to other games, and it's funny because. A lot of the reasons Destiny 1 was so sticky is because it was broken as fuck. Mm. And, and also, yeah, and just kind of 
gross like so the grinding in it was just terrible like grinding yep. i always hated grinding for stats on guns i thought that was that mm. was a terrible thing to have to do with your time the material stuff was dreadful like people forget how bad this new one was in terms of its progression systems and its persistent systems that's why they reinvented it like three times yeah for sure and, and again like to compare like the problems they're responding to here and the changes they're making are both less severe and less radical in terms of problem versus solution mm. to the things that occurred over the course of Destiny 1, a game that reinvented itself about four times. It kind of feels like they might have to do the same with Destiny 2, just on the, they're, they're the on the same problem. journey. Like, we made it too balanced! <laughs> now we have to... So they've, they've announced through a blog post a, a huge series of changes that are going to arrive alongside the expansion in the, and in the week following the expansion. Mm. And these include masterwork weapons, which reintroduces a randomised stat upgrade element that yes. is sort of harks back a little bit to Destiny 1's original uh, gun systems where every you could drop 10 of the same gun and it would have different stat rolls mm. and stuff. And there was an optimal stat roll for that particular gun. So people who wanted the best gun would have to kind of drop it again and again and again, raid and raid and raid to try and get the optimal loadout. Yeah, at its best, that system worked because th- those optimal guns were a matter of opinion. Mm. There were there were there were schools of thought about what a, it would be called a god roll, what a god roll entailed mm. for a given weapon archetype. Yes, um, and you didn't necessarily have to agree with it if you had a particular way of playing or a particular approach to. It. Usually, these are referred to in regard to PvP specifically as yeah. well. Um, I hope that the new system. They've said that it'll be that uh, that node, that randomized node on a masterwork weapon, will be rerollable. Uh, which is very similar to a system from Destiny 1. Mm. So it essentially becomes a resource sink. Once you've got a masterwork weapon, it's about yes. re-rolling it to try and get the mm. the thing you want. It does give guns personality, which is nice. It'll be interesting to see how they make that feel meaningful. Yeah. It also comes with things like stat tracking on what guns, which is a pretty tight and two way of making people feel attached. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the sort of upgrades they're talking about are like, uh, there's loads and loads of buffs to, like, for example, reload speed in Destiny. And I don't know what, know what plus one reload speed feels like. And I don't know what plus mm. 10 reload speed feels like. I think this is a huge problem with like the mod system they have where I don't know what plus X speed is really for my character. I don't feel it when I actually go back into the game with this thing on. Mm. And I worry, I worry about that for these tiny incremental upgrades for these masterwork weapons. I mean, they're gonna, they've got to feel meaningful to put for this. Yeah. Because in, in, uh, in Destiny 1, it was always a combination of stats and you'd never think about stats in exact terms. It was always because, you know, a gun would have different bars. You know, relative, like, you know, rate of fire versus impact would be the most obvious one. Yeah. And that settled the gun into an archetype. So the high rate of fire, relatively low impact sniper rifle versus the low rate of fire, very high impact sniper rifle would play differently and have different uses. Mm. Um, and then within that, you also had the, the perks, which would be things like land three headshots in a row and it refills the clip. And that is an optimal archetype for PvE because you were regularly landing shots on things with giant heads. Yep. Um, but a terrible one for PvP because you don't want to, you don't, not aspiring to get three headshots in a row. You're aspiring to get shots mm. on target in a row. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that gave guns personality. And those things do exist in Destiny 2, but it's far less, uh, you, you, that, you know, you do feel far less strong sense of ownership over particular weapons, I think, because those distinctions are less pronounced. And it feels less necessary to have a perfect rolled, yeah, whatever, you know, particular auto rifle in order to compete. Yeah. I I wonder, like, to what extent uh, leaning towards those hobbyist players or the more hardcore side of the Destiny player base will actually negatively impact the rest of the player base at all. I mean, if they create a situation where people who are really into the game want to grind out those master weapons to get the optimal rolls, uh, can do, like, harder raid content 
then that's cool. But will it, for example, ruin my ability to just drop into trials, uh, which is their hardcore kind of PvP mm. weekend mode? If, if everyone there, like I've, I've already had this problem with Destiny and Venice where everyone's just rolling my demolish tools, um, in, in trials for a yeah, while. Yeah. The PvP mess has been strangely garbage. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of, which is again a problem Destiny 1 had from time to time, mm. but nonetheless. But these things ebb and flow, I suppose. It's just, to what extent do you sacrifice the casual players to the persistent hardcore players? And, you know, that that's probably the dilemma that they're really wrangling with at the moment. Because hmm. if they go too far down that route, then you end up with the elite uh, weapons, the elite strata of, you know, uh, fashionably good weapons, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That said, though, maybe that gives the game the grit it needs to have pull. Mm. Like, this is a strange thing to consider. Like, maybe it needs to be a little bit worse to be better. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's if, it, if it's too painless to get good gear, then gear isn't special. Yeah. And it's, you know, like... It's really true. The, the experience of uh, Diablo 3 is a very different game to Destiny in some ways, but one thing it has is that feeling like you're constantly getting something new that just blows the last thing you had out mm. of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, because of some crazy combo with your abilities or just sheer numbers or something like that. And Destiny doesn't really have that beyond a certain point because you're looking, for, eventually you're fishing for incremental upgrades to your power level. Yeah. And the way that curves off means that you get to, you know, real hardcore power gamers can work the system until they're, you know, power level 305 or something. Mm. But most people will stop at like, 260 270 which is when you can do the raid yeah and there isn't really an incentive to go higher than that to be no, honest it's true um, and i guess i mean this thing these type of systems always feel like a replacement for the actual content if you know what i mean like yeah. you know what would really solve people's problems is a new area or a new place to go which yeah. is the expansion obviously which is the expansion which is a paid for expansion obviously yeah. but yeah like it's 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 a tricky one because i can see you almost feel a bit for them because they obviously looked at what were objectively problems with the first game i suspect to do uh, specifically with retention mm. like destiny one had a big problem with people finishing the campaign which wasn't very good in destiny one yeah. and then never touching it again yeah and that entire game existing after you hit level 20 and then only if you were willing to deal with its jank yeah. and its strange grindy kind of stuff to get at the great stuff about that game Destiny 1 is pretty good from the start, has some really great moments, and then you get to finish the campaign, you get to level 20, and then it opens up again. It still gets bitter, bigger and better. Mm. And then it's great for like another 10 hours after that, and then you run out of stuff. It too. dies, yeah, for sure. And then it dies, uh, which is, I don't know which is worse. <laughs> like every Destiny 1 player I've talked to over the last couple of months has said, I just haven't stuck with it and I don't know why mm. and I don't love it. And like I loved the first game. And I'm yet to decide. I can't. I can't make my mind up about whether or not that's something Destiny Two has done wrong. If that makes sense, yeah. Like it sure. hasn't. It doesn't cater to the Stockholm syndrome of the people who stuck <laughs> in the first game. Yeah, it's a very strange one, isn't it? I think that the expansions are, are everything really. Like, mm. do, does Trials of Osiris? Trials of Osiris? No, Curse, Curse of Osiris. Osiris. Um, they've got this new kind of rearranging dungeon thing they're adding, mm. which is a new type of. Yeah, um, type of dungeon that they're doing to where they will regenerate and shift and change supposedly uh, each time you go into it. So it's good to see them experimenting with new formats like that that yeah. might actually keep people really hardcore people happy. Yeah. Yes, and I mean it's I mean in terms of the comparative lifespan, it only really needs to be better than uh, the Dark Below, which mm. is Destiny One's first expansion and worst expansion. Yeah, by miles. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Although I do think that they could stand to bring back some of the things that. Um, 
So one one feature that's missing from Destiny 2 that I've heard multiple different people mention as, why is this gone? Because uh, I know like private PvP matches are coming back in January. So yeah. that's, that's happening. Is um, secret, like level secrets. So right. like the Black Splendor quest mm. in, uh, and the Return to the Vault of Glass in in the Taken King. I appreciate the words they just said mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> but essentially what these were, were like, uh, so occasionally in Destiny 1, uh, Destiny 1 had a daily, daily mission. So every day, um, a different, every day there is a different, uh, single player mission to do to get a bonus and a different multiplayer strike to do to get a bonus. And that single player mission would rotate every day. Um, and that was the way they got you back doing content. And they've replaced that system with the arguably better different planetary focus every day. So now every day in the game, it says go to this planet and do whatever you like there. And it on paper, a lot more open because you're not just replaying the exact same missions over and over again. Yeah. But one thing they did in, in destiny one was have a system where when these, uh, single player missions get resurfaced, um, certain of them would be in like a special variant where something else can happen in the mission that can't happen when you're playing as part of the campaign. Hmm. So for example, there's a puzzle you can do that allows you to travel through time and do a mad thing that gets you a special gun or like um, a race against time to kill a hidden boss in a level that yeah. gets you a rare gun. And those things were super cool. And when people discovered them, it blew people's minds. And yeah. it wasn't something that was in Destiny 1 for two years. Like that was added after two years. But there's nothing like that in Destiny 2. Mm. And it feels like it that would be feels like that would be a painless addition to the game. Not I mean, obviously to work, but it, it doesn't run counter to any of the goals of Destiny 2's design. And I think the absence of stuff like that does make you feel less because it would always be that thing where maybe I hadn't played Destiny One for a couple of days, but oh, the um, the the daily today is the one where you can get Black Spindle if you can get some friends together and do this super hard challenge version of the map. Mm, yes, and that would bring you back. That it's sort of missing that kind of thing. I'd yeah, quite like to see them bring that back. Yeah, it's because they've. I mean, they've amazingly just wiped the state, slate completely clean and put all of those planets into the bin that they had in Destiny 1, all that content, yeah, yeah. all that stuff they'd built. And I'm sure there are good, probably technical reasons for doing that, you know, moving away from the old uh, generation of consoles into new environments and kind of mm. having to support the old, old environments. Obviously, just, I mean, it's it, it's a weird challenge, isn't it? I think there's some people who are expecting them to sort of keep the old stuff. Um, yeah, I, I was never expecting that. I would, no, nor was I really. Because I, I mean, do you want Mars and the Moon hanging around? I mean, do you, do you <laughs> go want, away, moon. <laughs> go away, Moon. I mean, I, part of me does, but only in the kind of nostalgic destiny part of me. I mm. mean, I, I was delighted to see like to go to loads of new places, and that's what's. I mean, their artists are just incredible, and the places they build are amazing. I think, I think maybe a more robust um, kind of live event series would really yeah. help as well like they just need stuff that makes it feel special when you go back and something's happening because mm. because they've softened things like uh iron banner which is a bbp event mm. um so much and they've moved the old faction system into the new faction rally thing which uh was riddled with exploits like there hasn't been like oh shit i've got to go back iron banners on this week because yeah. there's loads of stuff i want True. and that plays into the gear thing so if, if, if the new gear system the masterwork system and there's also new cosmetic variants of armor sets that mm. you can get by playing a lot that kind of thing if that stuff makes something like iron banner feel appealing then those are the things that also keep people going back so it's yeah, really it's interesting true. it's interesting to watch them try and retain what was genuinely progressive about destiny 2's design mm. like it was rare for a, an mmo sort of service game like this to respect your time so much mm. compared to destiny 1 yeah yeah that's what i really like about it as well because i mean destiny 1 did demand so much of you and if you 
who could only devote a certain amount of time per week, you would you spend years trying to find you know the best weapons, trying to see the best stuff. Yeah, like getting into a raid in Destiny One was no, oh, such a mission to actually get up to that stage and get yeah geared up for it. And not just that, but you really needed specific things. Like you really couldn't do certain bosses without certain gear and mm. without even certain subclasses. Like you know, I play. I've only ever played a hunter, and that meant that there are roles specific things i had to learn to do for each of those boss fights because mm. literally can't do anything else right like if you are and if you are a warlock you don't go in there to express your individuality of your character you go in there because you have self-revive yes which was completely broken mm. and is gone from destiny 2 because it completely broke yeah well it didn't break anything well, it broke a few encounters quite badly <laughs> but it's hugely prohibitive to the type of encounters they could design yeah, you if, couldn't you couldn't decide that oh i want to be a storm caller for mm, this encounter because no, no, your no. entire raid group would go like you're wasting our time <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. like, for sure for sure um uh, yeah and i think that it, it is it's interesting i mean i just see it as quite a straightforward action game with like quite a lightweight rpg progression system mm. sort of around it um and that's fine I think that's fine, but I think the expectation for Destiny 2 has been carried over from Destiny 1 when Bungie were saying, and Activision were saying, this game will, will be your game, the game you play for 10 years. And they went so heavy on the kind of persistence of it. And they went so heavy on the kind of, you're going to take this hero and you're going to take them through this epic journey for a mm. decade. And people have, you know, still hold them to that promise, rightly. And, in, and it's just not that type of game, I think, that the game yeah, design is like I, so I do feel like I've been on an epic journey with this particular character because I've had the same character since Destiny 1. Yeah. And I will go back for the expansions. Cause, so the things it gets right, the things that are common to both games is it's, it's a fucking brilliant shooter. Mm. Like it is yeah. still way better than it has any right to be as an RPG, right? Mm, but because it's, I would say, one of the best shooters, pure shooters ever made in terms of gun design and feel and all the rest of it. Um, it's also a brilliant setting. And those things haven't changed. Yeah. And I kind of willing to go back for those things. And that was true of the first game. The first game had those two things strapped to a deeply inconsistent RPG. Mm. And Destiny 2 is, gets those two things right, and it's now strapped to a too consistent RPG. <laughs> <laughs> they can't win. <laughs> they genuinely can't. They can't win. Uh, it turns out, yeah, there is no magic formula for making people get helplessly addicted to your game forever. <laughs> I look I forward do. to the new expansion, though. Yeah, me too. That'll bring me back. That's what it well, takes. Um, yeah, no, seriously. Well, I, well, I want to find out about the Space Wizards. I've written Absolutely. so much, so many words for PC Gamer <laughs> yeah. about uh, Cyrus what, what might be going on with the Spacemen. Yeah, and um, I still have done the raid, so we should raid. Yeah, we should do the raid. We should. I, I, yeah, it's just again that's a symptom of people falling off. Like they didn't happen with yeah. Destiny One until late, where people really had lost interest. Yeah. Hmm. So in other news, there is there is a new Civ Six expansion announced with the most. So most of Civ expansions. Well, actually, maybe I'm wrong about this. This is an expansion that I assume is basically just the kind of spit and polish expansion that sometimes comes out about mm. a year after a Civ game. Mm. It's called Rise and Fall. And it's, it's new system is the idea that your empire can enter golden ages and dark ages and go through ups and downs. But that was kind of in Civ anyway, right? Yeah. I'm struggling to find, to know what that means. The deal is, yeah, really for the, the new expansion. Um, I mean, these kind of quality of life expansions that come out for Civ are often quite good. Um, but it doesn't seem to be adding, like, previous 
expansions would add like culture we would add like all culture <laughs> like art yeah. systems for artists and stuff and they could have been kind of sometimes they were kind of dumb and you know some were better than others but you'd kind of latch onto that new thing that you could your civilization could do and it seems like they've gone with a different direction for this one it seems more like um they are changing the rhythm of the game like the ebb and flow of a mm. campaign maybe to solve the problem that i do have with civ is that it's like an endless clicky plateau that you get stuck on yeah yeah and you after a while you sort of like put all the all the gears in motion your civ gets its momentum going and then you just sort of you're incredibly passive in what actually happens for the next it's, hundred turns well i suppose it's that that's the thing right you either have that momentum after let's say 50 turns mm. and you continue or you don't have it. And then you just restart. And you start again. Yeah. Like, so the, they've released, there's like a four minute, it's a really long trailer. And it's voiced by Sean Bean, I think. Or a man who sounds a lot like Sean Bean. Mm. And I think it's Sean Bean because Sean Bean manages to die about three minutes into the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that must be him. Then. It is, yeah. That's his entire job. Um, and, um, the, uh, spoilers for the Civilization Rise and Fall trailer and all things Sean Bean is in. Um, but, uh, and it's sort of what it's trying to do is tell the story of like how all civilizations go through ebbs and flows and successes and failures, mm. but it actually ends up basically exactly like every Civ trailer ever where you follow one character throughout time uh, and culture uh, where they inevitably end up as president. <laughs> caveman to president. You know the caveman to president journey? The classic arc, that classic character yeah. arc. Well, be, or unless you play as America in where you end up as a caveman Roosevelt, and that's just from the beginning of the game. Because <laughs> Sid thinks. Yeah. Uh, like, I would love them to, so I kind of get what they're going at, but I think they need, I would like to hear it explained in terms of practical. Yes, changes. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, you know, a system, like, essentially, since, uh, the various endless games and Stellaris, maybe less so Stellaris in some ways, but specifically actually Total Warhammer 2, basically fixed this campaign issue and, and and warhammer 2 is the the first you know the game that for me has uh really fixed it in terms of like mm. a genuine back and forth over the course genuinely knowing over the course of a campaign that it is not worth it's it's better to persevere than restart right? like if i was going to isolate a problem i have with grand strategy games it's give me a reason why i should continue rather than other than sheer time investment yeah right make it interesting to fail slightly because mm. of what comes next. And that sounds like what they're getting at with this, where it's like, you know, one of the things that they did mention is that if your civilization manages to enter a golden age after a dark age, it's a much better golden age called a heroic age, <laughs> which I suppose is, it's like, you know, the Renaissance simulator, basically it's, a, it's like combo you, breaker. Yeah, Civ. <laughs> exactly. Come back even harder. Like a comeback mechanic, basically like mm. the blue shell, but the <laughs> entire, like the, the Renaissance was the blue shell. Of, <laughs> Uh, Western civil, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can only kind of guess at what it is. Like, that's the trouble. I, I, Sean Bean dies, that's all I know. I like the idea that they would change the rhythm of the campaign. I like the idea that they wouldn't just give you an, another layer of numbers to manage, which is another thing I dislike about Civ. So is a lot of the numbers, um, I remember talking about this on the pod with Tom Francis, like when Civ 6 came out, where everything just feels like uh, you're massaging numbers that have very little to do with the concepts they're supposed to be re- represent. Mm. Uh, which is obviously always going to be a problem with these games where they have to use numbers to re- represent things. But the way that a lot of that stuff behaves was just kind of absurd, like having to detonate artists in particular arenas to get, <laughs> get uh, culture bonuses and things like that. That's exactly what they did to Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Detonated for they a massive... exactly one Sean Bean luxury resource. Sacrifice a Sean Bean to start a golden age of, of cultural trailers. golden age. Yeah. 
uh sid trailers are always hilarious because they they're like they're well produced and they often show like massive scenes of war and you know empires rising and falling and there's you know leonard nimoy used to narrate narrate one of them i think didn't he back yeah. in the day um and there's nothing at all to do with civilization as a game. Civilization is like, as far as uh, for the last couple of entries for me, it's just been like one of those gardening sims where you click on the plants when they're mm. ready. Like that's what it feels like to me. It's a very passive and not especially challenging experience. <laughs> it should just be like a long shot of like Sean Bean bellowing in the distance. I found a source of clams, <laughs> and then a city growing in that place. Yeah. And then Baba Yatu plays. And you click on it and you convert the, <laughs> the clams into culture. Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> in the amphitheatre and then Baba Yetu plays <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always nice but it's, I feel like it's just it's become a way of like, lulling you into a sort of stupor mm. um, and I, I, know, I didn't find that with like Civ 4 and some of the earlier games like it started with me with Civ 5 like 14 out for love with the series where it, you know it stopped feeling like a, a struggle for resources it stopped feeling like you know <laughs> um, military conflicts were difficult and stressful and ongoing uh, and it just became like a very gentle nice experience which might be what they're going for but mm. yeah yeah i mean it feels like as soon as civ like civ 5 made good accessibility mm. steps but there's a definite tension with civ between it being a strategy game and a sort of civ gardening game yeah and maybe that i mean maybe that's how people like to play it yeah which is fine which is cool and you know you Boost it up on a Sunday afternoon and you sort of while it away, gently growing an empire, and that's a really pleasant, fun thing. Mm. I think I've just been spoiled by stuff like Endless Legends. Yeah, uh, I think just other forex games, particularly from Amplitude, have, have done an amazing job of really introducing new ideas to that genre, which felt very stale before. And I was, I, mean, I was quite disappointed in Galaxy Three, for example, which felt like yeah. a very much a rerun of the second game and, and didn't try and modernize or try and you know innovate on that. Whereas Amplitude have done like consistently. I'm very excited about Endless Space Two and that eventually kind of gains all its features and becomes a complete game yeah it's a good game like i um, like it had it had big problems on launch and the mm. the code they actually sent out was very incomplete but again it's got great they tend to grow, ideas, and grow don't they? yeah and it's it's a very it, it's very much a game and that sounds like a dumb thing to say like it has narrative stuff and it has beautiful art and the rest mm. of it but i think one of the advantages that a lot of the space games tend to have is and then actually one of the advantages that the warhammer fantasy setting has afforded creative assembly with the total war series is that unshackled from this kind of like celebration of history angle that Civ has and Total War has traditionally, yeah, yeah. they can be strategy games where factions and, and uh, environments and, and so on can be carefully managed in order to create interesting strategic scenarios. Mm. Like, uh, without wanting to bang on about it, Warhammer 2 really impressed me from that point of view because it felt like they have an approach to this. Like, obviously they have a, a fixed pre-existing fiction to match, but it really felt like an interesting strategy game yeah. that, you know, happens to have this particular fiction attached to it rather than um, what you were talking about earlier, which is Civ's sort of in- frustratingly inexact attempt to represent real historical things through a kind of mathematical system mm. where the neither thing really comes off for me. Like the, yeah. the pure maths of it aren't, is not, aren't that interesting, but neither is it successfully evoking the miracle of the development of writing or something. It's yeah. just like, I'm getting an extra leaf icon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's certainly true. Uh, I think it's part, part of that. It's like moving to their multi hex city system 
where you're pulling leaf icons and sort of tomato icons and sword <laughs> icons out of the soil and and sort of clicking which i mean in fairness that was part of our centurion and a bunch of other 4 games mm. um and I, I don't know something like i felt like even visually civ 6 was a step back from civ 5 in terms of civ 5 just being a very pleasant place to be if you're going to have that sort of like trance like lovely experience. fluffy clouds yeah just yeah. lovely and lovely little details lovely little meadows and stuff and, and civ 6 was almost more garish and more simplified in its you know art style and i think i just uh, there's loads of stuff that i just didn't really get to grips with it um because of that stuff um i'll give it a shot with the expansion but i don't know i mean i might as well play endless legend again <laughs> yeah yeah you no know? i mean traditionally it is this first expansion with a civ game mm. of any sort including the non foraxis sort of forex or grand strategy games mm. that makes them good right that's true yeah that is like is yeah. how it tends to go isn't it taking a long historical view if this is just the we fixed all the nonsense. We sacrificed one Sean Bean. And everything is great. And, and the, first, the first game is... <laughs> they wrote a cage. <laughs> exactly. Civilization. Um, then, then good. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> On balance. Good. Good news. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hope it doesn't sound like I'm dragging Civ too much. I just feel like it's got really meaningful competition now. Yeah. In a way that didn't necessarily... Yeah, I definitely it. agree with that. That's the that's probably the big thing that's changed, hasn't it? Is that yeah. all these indie studios have come up making good 4X games. Uh, that are introducing new ideas to the genre. Yes, and actually, if Civ wanted to evolve into this more like more casual, not I, I don't say in casual in the in the internet comment thread kind of way. I mean just a more relaxed mm. experience, and and you can divide your brain time between whether I want a hardcore amplitude game or I want more relaxed time with Civ. Mm. Then cool, that's fine. Yeah, it's good. It'd be interesting, but it, it doesn't feel like a, a definitive statement has been made about that. Really, yeah. You're waiting for that, mm. waiting for that kind of sense of what it's supposed to be. So you can gauge it against that rather than against previous civs or mm. the competition or etc. Agreed. Mm. Is that all the news? Is there anything else? No. Well, so one news links into, I guess, what I've been playing, mm. uh, which is that, um, so I don't, we, we spent enough time, more than enough time on loot boxes and backlash and that kind of thing the drama of the moment however whatever ends up happening from now on with that stuff and i I wonder if things like loot boxes and so on are a bubble that is in the process of bursting Mm. uh for various reasons reputational terms of real gain legislation those kinds of things coming in uh the news came out i think a couple days ago that the this fiasco with battlefront 2 has knocked three billion dollars off ea's share price Apparently, they are still a net gain for 2017 because they've had such a good year. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they're but huge. Regardless of anything else, that those ain't numbers people ignore, mm. basically. So it's, you know, I, again, I don't want to go over that particular subject too much, but I can't imagine this won't have an impact on how games are designed in the future. Mm. And arguably, maybe that will be a positive impact. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so too. I do, however, I would really like to talk about Battlefront 2. Mm. Because... The game. The, the game, the video game Battlefront 2 by Dice, Motive, and Criterion mm. at the same time. And so I I think I, at the last part I was on, maybe I said that I wasn't planning on getting it. Um, but uh, Pip got it for me as a present, oh, which is very kind nice. of her. And uh, I, this was the day after the Golden Joystick Awards. I, was, uh, I did... 
a lot of work on the Undertaker Awards this year, and it was a you know a, a good experience on the whole. Like a lot of uh, script writing and producing and, and and all sorts of things, and that was the work of a couple of months. And the day after the Joystick Awards, I was desperately in need of just a, a good time hmm. with a game. You know, like I didn't, uh, I was, I was too wiped to paint or do any other things I do to relax. Like I just had for a first time in a while, a need to play something that wasn't going to challenge me too much. Yeah. Um, and Battlefront 2 is great. And I've now played 30 hours of it and I'm continuing to have a brilliant time with it. Oh, good. And I, and there's lots of reasons for that. And so, uh, and, I would preface this by saying that I do think it's very expensive. I do think 55 pounds, which is what it costs is a lot to spend on a game. Mm. And I don't think, I don't know how you make a qualitative kind of price versus quality kind of statement. Um, it's obviously been worth it for me because I got so much out of it. Um, but it's, it's not a perfect video game by any standards. I have no idea what I would give it as a score. Mm. Um, I, but Actually, I do think it is an amazing, amazingly crafted thing in, in a lot of ways. And, um, as somebody who obviously loves that fiction, um, and loves that universe, it's been an opportunity to kind of revel in it in a way that very few games have ever offered, I think, simply because of how incredible it looks. Yeah. Like it might be the best looking game. <laughs> well one of them I've ever played from a technical point of view, mm. like in terms of both scale and detail all at the same time in a multiplayer context. Um, so to, to break it down a little bit. So there's a single player campaign. Um, I heard four, four hours to run through the whole thing. Uh, I did it in about six or seven, but that's cause I was playing on the hardest setting and really taking my time with it. And that's a really interesting thing. Cause actually it's pretty good. Like um, it's, it is short, and it has a big story to tell and lots of other kind of cameo things and kind of special levels and one-offs, even within that short running time. Mm. And it doesn't have time to fully unpack anything it really wants to say. Like it's got loads of relationships in it and, and that just sort of, it feels like watching a movie on fast forward, <laughs> like a, a level might be a big set piece, a couple of combat arenas, and then the next gets in the next thing. It feels like every level in it could be, four times longer and you would have a game of about average length, but the resources expended to bring every single environment to life are mind boggling basically. Uh, and the, you know, the number of them and some of the single player levels are environments from the multiplayer. Mm. Um, but it's not obvious, obvious until you play the multiplayer. Basically some of them are using the same kind of environment art, but not the same, exactly the same locations, yeah. like Endor or something like that. And some of them are completely, uh, lots of them are completely original for the mm. uh, single player. But um, I think that I'm having a really good time with it because it has reliably good acting and honestly writing a lot of the time. Some things don't quite work. Some things rely on you knowing stuff about Star Wars, particularly the new canon. Right. Like if you haven't, been keeping up with like the Chuck Wendig books, which I actually hadn't been beyond like the first one that mm. has been, you know, since they, you know, kind of started over with the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Then there are things that are just mentioned and kind of moved past that you kind of need to understand. Mm. And it's because of that, like every frame of that thing cost a shitload of money and it really shows. But there's definitely something, you know, for as much as I would always champion good, elegant, small scale game design. There is something quite nice to being treated to just 
the money show where it's like, <laughs> look what we can do with vast resources. Mm. And I think a meaningful investment in telling a different kind of story. There are definitely moments when it's like, okay, yep, this is Star Wars. Mm. But also like, you know, it's, uh, you know, an interesting new Star Wars adventure story, which has, uh, great moments for a lot of the core cast of Star Wars, but also cool new characters, including a new female lead for Star Wars. Um, it has some really good Leia moments, like, um, not to give too much away, but Leia gets more to do as a kind of general and as an action hero than she does in the movies, mm. which is nice to see. And that's all really well done. That's, that's something I'm specifically like happy to see because it's not when you talk about like run down the list of Star Wars sort of iconic characters, you know, you might expect to get the Luke Skywalker cameo and the Han Solo stuff. Yeah. But a game getting, uh, Leia right and getting Lando right mm. is kind of actually above and beyond what I expected from it. Mm. And some of the set pieces are just fucking crazy. Like, I don't know how they do some of the stuff they're doing with like the frostbite engine. Like there's, you see, uh, again, no spoilers for like, I, I, I might talk about some of the locations, but it's not going to surprise people really. Cause yeah, star war, you see the battle of Jakku, which is, so Jakku is the planet from the force awakens with the crash star destroyers and stuff on it. Oh yeah. And a lot of that is how there came to be so many crashed star destroyers <laughs> and fighting your way through that battle as it actually happens. And there's just capital ships falling from the sky everywhere. And oh, well. this sense of this huge combat taking place all around you is like genuinely one of those sort of, I wouldn't say if you're not interested in multiplayer, I think that's a bit of a risk to say that's worth the price of entry because you're talking about 55 quid mm-hmm. for an experience that is tops out at six hours and that doesn't have tremendous replay value necessarily. But it is, you know, I it was exactly what I needed at that point was like, just take me on a space adventure. Mm-hmm. I'm stressed out. <laughs> um, and the multiplayer side of it is super interesting because it's, uh, so it had a big patch today, which has solved a problem. And a hilarious problem, which is that it was completely unbalanced. Mm. And actually, in a way that has nothing to do with the unlock system, which I've barely mentioned, and that's because it barely factors. Yeah. You were completely right, incidentally, Tom, when you said that that 40 hours to unlock every character mm. thing was complete Reddit maths. It was complete Reddit maths. Yeah. That, that was cited that each, both Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader would cost, would take about 40 hours of play each. And I had both of them within eight. Okay. Yeah. So that's how wrong that was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about right. <laughs> uh, so the, um, the, so the, the, the problem with Bear had was that it was actually a traditional battlefield problem where it's far easier to be a defender than an attacker where you're defending some positions and they have like a limited number of respawn tickets to take them. The way that was tuned was just basically completely busted. Mm. Um, there was no, basically there's, 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 there's a lot of stuff in the game. There's a lot of maps. There are, there are maps for the Clone Wars, the Galactic Civil War and the new movie era. Cool. Uh, each of which has the same classes, but new, um, new environments, character art, all of that stuff for all of them. Oh, That's yeah, the gosh. kind of the investment just on that level. Um, mm. and each of those maps are massive and a lot of them have, uh, multiple stages based on how far the attackers get. And because it was so rare that the attackers would get past the first thing on some maps, <laughs> it meant that 30 hours in, I was still discovering stuff about those maps, which is weird. And this is some of my experience with Battlefront so far is that because on paper, that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. The game's really badly, badly balanced and basically one side never wins. <laughs> and yet I ended up having a good time. Because it felt more Star Warsy the times when you would push through. Mm. And they've made some changes now. They've massively increased the number of tickets that attackers get for being successful, which is what it needed. Like, mm. it was just, you ran out too quickly. 
Um, but actually, like, one thing that helped me realize is as, as someone who plays games competitively and would normally do a big frown about something like that, what it real, what I realized was that this is a multiplayer game and ostensibly a competitive game that I play 100% for the experience. And where it's more like to put our different hat on, uh, ironically, uh, you know, in, in tabletop stuff, I'm capable of switching off my competitive side if I'm sufficiently into the story and the theme. Mm. And it's more about the feeling, right? Yeah. That's a good thing because I lose a lot. Mm. But like, I found that with Battlefront, I'm okay to just switch my kind of, I want to win brain off mm. and get into the feel of it. And I couldn't do that with the first EA Battlefront game because I didn't enjoy it enough as a shooter and it felt very random. Yeah. And the experience felt very inconsistent. Mm. And this is a much, much better shooter. The abilities are better designed and more transparent. The There's a better sense of interplay between classes. Mm. It reliably produces genuinely good firefights. Its balance issue was because it was simply too hard. Um, basically, it was just a really simple thing. You didn't get enough tickets. So you'd have really good firefights, but eventually the attackers would just run out of steam. And the maths of that wasn't quite right. Like the amount of tickets you'd have to expend to take a position yeah. didn't match up to the amount you got for taking it. So you just ran out before you got to stage two most yeah, of the time. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's a kind of experience. Um, it's been like just reliably evocative. And I find that really interesting because I don't think people talk about shooter design, particularly multiplayer shooter design, that ter- term very often. No. The thing it reminds me a lot of is Planetside, hmm. which is a game where I could never play it competitively or like, uh, you know, in, in, well, I don't even mean competitively, effectively. <laughs> Do you remember that sort of feeling of like, I'm definitely. just here? Yeah, definitely. You sort of make your own story out in the wild, out on the frontier and Planetside, yeah. don't you? You sort of like be a band up some buddies and you sort of try and take a base and, you know, see how it goes. And if it goes, goes badly, it's not about the actual taking the base. You're dropping the ocean. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And obviously this is, you know, uh, this is 20 aside games or 12 aside for the Starfighter mode. Um, one thing it does, uh, really well is create that sense of scale. Now some of this stuff, again, is just like knowing anything about game development. You look at something like this and it's just like, holy shit. So like there's a map. Moss Eisley map should be the most basic thing in the world. Uh, Imperials are racing into the city to rout the rebels mm. and it's the urban combat map uh, for that era to some extent. There's rooftops you can climb up on and fight street to street and that kind of thing. Um, and that's fine and it looks very nice. But when the game, so the, when the match begins, the empire is outside the city and they come down in landing craft and you charge out, charge into the city with your stormtrooper mates and it looks great. looks like squadrons of stormtroopers filtering into a city. Yeah. And there are just crowds of civilians that flee for doorways <laughs> as you enter the city and big Star Wars monster dinosaur things that <laughs> rear up and bellow and kind of run away. <laughs> and as soon as within a few minutes of the battle starting, all the civilians have run. You can't shoot them. They're kind of not, you know, they're not game elements yeah. they're, they're purely cosmetic um but they have fled and run inside buildings and but it creates this real cinematic sense to the start of the battle it's from a competitive shooter design point of view you roll your eyes at it it's completely unnecessary mm. but it feels right and when you are the rebels charging to the defense of the city and you're running into the crowd and the crowd's running through the street next to you mm. you feel like i'm a rebel soldier saving this town mm. in this particular match of moss eisley and that's not something a lot of shooters think about, I think. Do you think if you, like, if you just like Star Wars instead of, like, really loving the setting, it would sustain that kind of magic? 
I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're obviously quite lucky because it's a license that a lot of people really do love. Mm. Um, I, I don't, you know, I think, I think there is a sense that like you have to want to climb into that place. Star Wars is one of those settings like Harry Potter, like, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings to some extent or where people don't just like that setting. They want to get as close to experiencing inside the yeah. inside of it as they possibly For can. Sure, yeah, yeah. And I definitely have that with Star Wars. Like I run a role playing group and mm. it's been really nice playing Battlefront because it's helped me kind of imagine some things better. Yeah. Cause also like, I mean, I've literally, uh, there's a, there's a map. One of the Battlefront maps includes a landed version of a ship that when I got the game, my player characters in like the campaign I'm running were currently in the middle of exploring the inside of exactly that ship. And I'd never seen it accurately depicted anywhere. Hmm. So I ended up when I found that in a map and I'd never seen it before because it's quite a late checkpoint in, in my battle that I'd never seen done successfully. Yeah. I ended up like just walking around looking at it and taking notes for this experience that I was running on, on the side because that's, that's the nature of my investment in it, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I kind of just like, whoa, this is the inside of a Veneta class Republic era Star Destroyer. <laughs> um, and like that's, you know, that has value to me. Whereas I imagine if that doesn't have value to you, then again, that initial outlay is going to be super unappealing. Yeah. But so that, those are all good things. The other thing is, um, I think it's actually a pretty good dogfighting game as well. So oh, it has, right. they've completely redone the, um, starfighter assault mode. So this Criterion's influence, is it? Yeah. This mm. is the thing Criterion made was mm. the starfighter mode. And so, uh, the flight model is completely different to Battlefront 1. So in Battlefront 1, you couldn't roll, basically. You were sort of on a plane. Yeah. Not a, in a plane. You were on, <laughs> you know, and so you could go up and down, but your uh, ship would always be level, basically. And then you had, on the F keys, the ability to do barrel rolls as like almost like a cooldown ability to shake a target lock. Some of the spirit of that remains. So like certain ships have, most ships have some way of mitigating a target lock uh, for like an interceptor that might be a boost like an afterburner kind of thing, or it might be countermeasures on a bomber or uh, for something like an X-Wing, it's just tanking it and having your droid fix the damage right. and those kinds of things. So there are cool abilities to consider, but you do have pro- what I would describe as like arcade flight controls. So you can accelerate, uh, decelerate, roll. I even think in Battlefront 1, I can't remember this quite right, but I think you couldn't even, I think acceleration was almost a binary thing as yeah, well. Yeah, I can't remember it being analog it's, and it's a throttle now okay. with lower speeds enabling uh snappier turns it's not a simulator it's not elite hmm. but it is a you know an arcade space dogfighting game yeah uh with a uh kind of robust class system and it uses the same attack and defend mechanic as um, the majority of there's, there's quite a few modes actually including a small team mode and a hero mode and all this sort of thing hmm. but it has the same basically attack and defend mechanic and like a couple of weeks ago, I was playing quite a lot of uh, Eve Valkyrie Warzone before that got well, got swept up in CCP's closing, I think, of all of the VR studios. Mm. I don't know what the face of that game is now, actually. Yeah. But actually, like, I- I've spent a lot of time in Battlefront trying to figure out, like, to what extent do I love this because, oh, come on. No, it's, X- it's X-Wings. And to what extent am I really enjoying this because it's genuinely, like... So not dogfighting is necessarily for everybody. Like it's not an experience that people like, I know that world of warplanes is the, mm. the world of game that wargaming has struggled the most to yeah. get, you know, people excited about. Um, but I do, and there's, I have thought about a lot of ways that they struggle and the way they can devolve into turning in circle fests and things like that. And it's not perfect. It's very lethal. Like it's very lethal. You'll just die out of nowhere sometimes, mm. but there is sort of, um, 
meaningful strategy. I'm going to put some gifts, I think, in the show notes of this episode because I've been like recording moments and like hmm. I've had really good chases and really good actual dogfights and actually both outflown people and been outflown in a way that suggests that it's actually quite a robust system. Yeah. Um, and the maps are great. Like they, um, because they're again, these multi-stage things, usually taking down the shield generators on big capital ships. Um, and they, uh, my favorite one I think is, is a black, black, black civil war one called, um, Fondor shipyard, which has you. So the rebels are basically raiding an Imperial shipyard and there's a star destroyer parked in, in like a kind of repair bay. Yeah. And it's got multi-stage from taking out Imperial Corvettes at the start to, um, flying into through the station to destroy a shield, uh, to destroy reactor cores that are inside the station itself. <laughs> and, um, it's just reliably cool from like, cause like when you play it a lot, you learn the rhythm of it. You know that Y wings are best for the first stage. So you spawn as a Y wing and you fly in and you often will be along another phalanx of other Y wings and the cockpit, uh, I sometimes will just play a game in the first person cockpit view, even though it is massively at a disadvantage. <laughs> in that, yeah. Just cause it feels so like they, they, they've done a great job of like the way the sound, uh, balance changes mm. when you're in the cockpit, you can hear your own engines a lot louder and everything else comes over a radio rather oh, than just cool, being cool. kind of around you. Yeah, like, really good at they're so good at this. Yeah. Like, and you just, you know, you hear it and all of that movie perfect kind of, you know, the, whenever you get those shots in the movies where it cuts back to like gold leader or somebody and you can hear the sound of the inside of his ship. It's yeah. like that basically. Uh, right. And then you can, you know, do these sort of like torpedo runs on these cor- corvettes, but then X-wings are actually better for flying inside the ship. Um, because I think anyway, because they do more burst damage than a Y-wing, like a Y-wing will t- trail after something and nuke it much more consistently, mm. but a Y-wing, uh, an X-wing can like overcharge its quad turbo lasers and fire all four at once, mm. but only for a moment. But if you're having to fly through a thing and there are TIE fighters coming in the other way trying to stop you, then I prefer that as a kind of gambit, like in and out and trying not to avoid feeding tickets away. Yeah. And it sort of ends with this kind of, and as the match progresses, more rebel, um, like capital ships come in and it ends up with like a, a rebel crew, rebel capital ship taking on the star destroyer and like this sort of tangle of a dogfight underneath the star destroyer and through the docking clamps that are holding the star destroyer in place. And mm. it's just reliably like, fucking, this is cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so my, my only, like one of the only things I don't like about all of it is they've had, they have an interesting, so they have the hero system, which is much better. So in the first battlefront, in order to get a go with an X-Wing or a, a hero character, you had to find a power-up scattered around the level. Yeah. And then phone somebody with the power-up <laughs> who would then let you be Darth Vader or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really this, weird. this new one has obviously the hero system and obviously people talked about how that you unlock them. But I think because you unlock them, there's a sense that you should be able to play it as any hero at any time. Um, the way I would have designed this game is to divide the heroes into archetypes so that every era has its dark and light side force user right and a dark and light side soldier character and a dark and light side basically rogue or scoundrel character hmm. and have different heroes to fill those archetypes for different eras so you'd have um like maul for the prequels vader for the original trilogy and uh, kylo ren for the new ones that's not how they work they're all really different from each other and fill different roles hmm. um so that means that all of them are available in every map all the time so like um Kylo Ren in his Kylo Ren can completely show up during the Clone Wars and will all the time, right? Because now that everything's based on the amount of points you've earned over the course of the match, you want to have as many heroes in play as you can as a team. Mm. So 
the people who are the first four people to earn enough to play as a hero are going to pick all four hero, however many are available. So that means that you, if you're playing a, you know, first order versus resistance game, you will see Yoda run into battle alongside a much younger Luke Skywalker, <laughs> alongside Rey, alongside, well, okay. yeah, up against Boba Fett, the Emperor, uh, <laughs> Kylo Ren, Darth Vader, Darth Maul. And it does get a bit like ultimate battle of ultimate destiny. Yeah. There's sort of an element of like, this is, I mean, I say this only from a purist point of view, like, this is a bit daft. And it's led them to some really weird places in terms of the themes of the maps. Because they've said the reason there isn't like a skin system yet mm. is because they have to be very careful with how they treat the source material. Right. So that you can't unlock, you can't unlock like. No hats of them all. Yeah, you can't unlock like Happy Christmas Darth Vader, you know, or, you know, Beachwear Palpatine or something. No. Um, and what, um, but what this does mean is that for the Clone Wars maps, they've divided it into rather than being like Empire and Republic or something like that, it's light and dark. So all of the evil characters are on the battle droid side in the Clone Wars maps, mm. which means that Darth Vader fights for the battle droids. Right. Even though he literally He's... fought in that. <laughs> yeah. On the other side. For the, for the other one. Yeah, that's really weird. It is really weird. The weirdest one is Boba Fett, mm. who is literally a clone. Of, he's the same. <laughs> yeah. And he's on the bad guy side because that's like yeah, fighting even... infinite clones of his dad. Yeah. Man, that's some therapy. Yeah, exactly. Some therapy. Um, so that's a bit fucked. I really like a purist mode for all of the modes, actually, where, mm. uh, but it does lead to, uh, I guess the final thing I say, uh, and hopefully this has not been mega boring, but I was just interested in, I have not seen anyone unpack the things that this game has done right. Mm. Cause it's generated it's such controversy. Consumed by the uh, loot box stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which has not really impacted my enjoyment of it whatsoever, mm. partly because the loot boxes have been abruptly completely switched off. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not the loot boxes, sorry, the, the, the microtransactions. Yep. So I've just gotten my upgrades at the speed at which I've got them. And mm. some of them feel like, Oh, that seems a bit bullshit, but I haven't minded because I'm in the star war. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess to say, I don't want to dwell on that too much. Um, there is, so this is hero battle mode, like four on four, everyone plays a hero kind of thing. And it's explicitly silly. Like it has an announcer who talks about the fact that this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like yeah. it's designed to be weird that all these characters are mashed up, mm. but there is a brilliant thing that happens reliably and is one of the best unintentional visual gags I've seen in a while in a game like this, where by default, um, the heroes available, there's four heroes available for each faction by default. And then everyone unlocks a few because you get them so many points so quickly. Mm. Um, but the default four for, uh, the, the baddies are Bosk, the lizard man in the yellow jumpsuit. Oh yeah. Boba Fett, uh, Darth Maul and Kylo Ren. Hmm. And everybody unlocks Darth Vader first. Like, no, it, it, like I would, I'd love to see who's like, I'm going to unlock Palpatine. <laughs> Everyone goes for Vader first. Right. Yeah. And what this means. And at the beginning of all these modes, uh, beginning whenever this match starts, it does like almost not like a wrestling intro, but like a kind of walk in for each team. Okay. And so the rebels will walk in and it always looks like, even if it's, you know, a, you know, anachronistic. It always looks kind of cool because it'll be like Yoda and Luke and Ray and Lando normally yeah. walking in and then the lightsabers get ignited. But all of the Sith look quite samey. They're all dudes in black with red lightsabers and Bosk is always there. So it's always like Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, uh, Maul, like walk in. They're all like cut, you know, black robes, lightsabers ignite and a big yellow lizard man is <laughs> also there. I'm surprised he's in the game. <laughs> Why would, why do they choose of all the heroes they could, I don't know why Bosk is there. Yeah. Um, why not put in the, um, they should put in the, uh, blue elephant who plays jazz. 
Max Rebo. Max Rebo. <laughs> he should definitely be a character if he's not already he in He might be. Um, <laughs> and um, for some reason, that makes me laugh every single time. There's something powerfully awkward about it. It's like, mm. you know, everyone has the friend who is the Bosk in the big... <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, bless. You know, you know, like... What does he do then? What's his thing? Uh, he, like he, he, he sets traps. So he, he ha- okay. can create proximity mines. He can throw a gas grenade. Hmm. And he has like an ult which gives him thermal vision and a grenade launcher, which is fucking great against Yoda. <laughs> right. That's that's the hard counter to that's a Jedi, really. Yoda, it's just like right. poison grenade. gas and a grenade launcher. Yeah, that makes sense. Which makes sense. Um, I've had some, yeah, some moments with that. Like Boba Fett spends a lot of time flying around like a, like a prick. Hmm. Um, and Ray has the ability to do his mind trick, which reverses people's controls if you use it on a player. Oh, no. And the best game winning kill I've ever got was mind tricking Boba Fett and he flew into the sea by accident, <laughs> which is remarkably close to how he dies in the films. That's very true. <laughs> there wasn't a giant sand no. gob to swallow him up this time. No, it was just like mind trick. And he's just like, oh, I've forgotten how to be up. Sploosh. <laughs> it was great. That's excellent. Yeah. So that's, that's my, that's my battlefront rant. Like I say, like I said at the top of this bit, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could say that it would be worth 55 quid for everybody or even anybody. Mm. Um, I am quite excited that all the maps and new characters are going to be free. That's cool. That's neat. Mm. Um, like that for me helps justify the loot box thing, even though the loot box thing isn't paid for mm. anymore because, because of a phone call from a Disney man. Mm. Um, I, you know, it's still a lot of money and, and it's not a fantastic game. It's just like, it's a real strong seven out of 10 for somebody who loves that setting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And strangely, it's just been like one of the most consistently enjoyable games I've played for a while because it's exactly what I needed mm. basically. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. So there you go. Congra- basically also, I just wanted to say that God, the, the effort that goes into making something like this is absolutely astonishing. Mm. Like, you know, these business models can really shaft both games and players and developers when they change the narrative about a game completely. Mm. And I hope that when the dust settles, there will be a nice article about the environment art in that game and what a giant bitch it must have been to pull off. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like someone deserves a medal. Mm. It's just probably not only the business side. It's interesting to see EA do that multi-studio thing that Ubisoft have kind of presented over the years to give different studios different bits of the game and uh, have them cohere at the end in that way. Yeah, it is like... You know, and it has apparently worked. Like, mm. obviously, there are constraints and stuff and a license order to work with. But, you know, you don't get the impression that the loot boxes and all that stuff were the idea of any one of those studios specifically. Mm. You know, all of them have made either the space fight game or the story or the multiplayer shooter as best as they can within the confines of what it is. And then there's this system strapped to the front of it that mm. has just, you know, fucked them over in a huge way. And that's a huge shame specifically for the people who spent all that technical expertise on creating this thing yeah what have you been up to tom i've rambled about star wars too much i've um i bought a steam link in the steam sale and, and it was mega cheap it was super cheap they were selling for five bucks and they you got to get it shipped from america so it's an extra sort of 10 bucks attached to that but still it normally sells for like 40 or something and what this is it's um if you're not aware it's a small box that you plug into your telly and it streams your pc to your tv and it's basically a way of just couch gaming with your pc uh that hopefully is convenient um i've been really impressed by it so far it's worked really really well oh cool uh i would say that uh i would caveat that by saying you want to be able to plug it into an ethernet cable do you use a home plug or anything like that or? yep i use a home plug so these are 
brilliant if you've got like a bit a house or a big flat and your pc is miles away from your um router uh you might already have one of these but just in case you don't like it's basically just it fits into your plug sockets and beams wirelessly but very efficiently from one uh one device to another so you can plug one in in you know your front room and plug one in in your back room and it saves you from running like an ethernet cable all the way from your front room to your back room yeah basically um and i yeah so i've you can plug that that's what i've done so i've plugged my steam link into one of those in the wall and it works flawlessly it's just uh doesn't drop any frames uh it's really really good not just as a way of playing steam games but you can close down big picture mode and then you're just streaming your desktop to your telly Hmm. so i've used it to watch bt sport and other apps and kind of you can watch youtube on there it's a lot more efficient and easier to use than you know a lot of built-in apps for your ps4 and what do you use to actually control your pc from the couch so um the steam link has a usb port in it and Hmm. i plug uh a cable and an xbox one controller into that so you don't have to have it plugged, you know, your controller plugged into your PC. Actually, the Steam Link handles all of that for you. And it's got a HDMI cable that goes from the link to your telly. And I don't think it has any other options. So you need a HDMI port to make that work. But it's, that's it. It's just a, it's a little efficient thing that just gets on with the job. Um, it can work wirelessly and it works if you're like streaming TV and stuff like that and streaming pictures, but it does drop frames for me when I try to play games. And that would be fine for stuff like Divinity Original Sin 2, which is one of the things I've been playing with it. Uh, but when I started trying to play Dishonored 2, for example, you really, really want that, uh, that Ethernet cable in there to give you that consistent frame mm-hmm. rate. Uh, but I've, I've been really, really impressed by, by it. And I think it's, um, it's amazing how good games look on your telly because <laughs> it also fixes a lot of stuff um when it comes to I, i've often plugged my tv my pc into my tv via hdmi cable mm. but the image quality is all fucked up and it just doesn't seem to look right you know i end up fiddling with my settings loads and trying to adjust output m- modes on my pc and stuff and the steam yeah. just does it all it just sorts it out and it just works and looks perfectly mm. you know it looks as it does on your monitor uh, and that's just as a solve solving a problem essentially it just does a is a brilliant job of it and what it's done for me is it's changed the way I look at my entire Steam library now because I'm thinking about things that I can play on the couch and stuff that has good controller support. Uh, and so hence downloading Dishonored 2 again, a game that was ridiculously I bounced off like whenever I've tried it. I tried it in the summer, tried it last uh, when it came out last December and I've just not like cracked it. But now just playing it earlier on the couch, I've been having an absolutely amazing time with it. The controller support is very good for Dishonored 2. Mm. And it almost lets you, as you've mentioned before, Chris, like lets you do stuff with leaning that an analog control that you, you know, you can't necessarily do with, um, with mouse and keyboard. That works really well. Definitely Original Sin 2 has fantastic controller support. In fact, huh. when you, uh, plug a controller in, it even like resizes all of the text boxes because it assumes you're, it knows you're using a telly. Uh, so everything is completely readable. Um, dialogue screens like are blown up to the size of, you know, the, the height of the entire screen. So everything is, you know, all the fonts are blown up and it's really, really well designed pad game for, for such a huge dense RPG. I was delighted to see that they'd put that kind of support. Man, that's great. That's uh, really, really good. And that's my Christmas sorted. Basically, I'm just going to be lying sideways on the couch, uh, solving dilemmas for people and setting people on fire with, you know, lizards, giant lizard men. That's in Divinity right now, Dishonored. I'm trying to figure out what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, both. Both. Right. But Divinity. Yeah, particular. man, now I regret not getting one. Pip said, like, should we get one? Was it really cheap? And I was like, I don't know if we would actually use it. And Because I, I, I think I had it in my head that they were not good for some reason. But but mm. maybe, maybe I'm just wrong. I don't know. Because Andy Kelly, um, PC Gamer, he wrote a piece for us like last year when he got one and he absolutely loves his. And he, he's had a brilliant time with it and it's just worked flawlessly for him as well. I, I think if you're, I would say again, like relying on wireless, it's, it's going to be more inconsistent. But if you've got one of those 
plug things, uh, plug sockets through the Ethernet. It's, it's, for me, it's worked flawlessly. It's been really, really, really good. That's great. And it's amazing to just see like 60 frames per second PC quality graphics on your telly. And I've yeah. got a PS4 and I play with it all the time. And it is just like, whoa, <laughs> suddenly like it does feel like a premium experience. So you get sound through the PC speakers. Yeah, it does all that. Yeah. It, through the HDMI, it, I imagine. Yeah, so the HDMI like puts all the sound automatically through your telly, which is another annoying thing that you have to contend with, contend with when you're plugging a PC directly into yeah. it. Although uh, I suppose that makes it, this is such a techie nerd question, but like, does it have any other audio outs? Um... Well, it's purely HDMI. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily purely. be able to have like an optical audio out to your surround sound system or something. Yes. Like that. That's a good thing to consider actually. Yeah. So you, you, unless you find, I, I don't know if converter plugs even exist for that sort of thing. Probably not. No. Uh, maybe you get something that goes from out the TV, but I doubt it. Yeah. Maybe some of them, if, if they go to the telly, maybe the HDMI will go in and then I don't know. It's just a certain, yeah, it's definitely worth checking if you've got that type of setup. Um, the uh, stealing page on the, on Steam is quite informative when it comes to like, Showing you what all the output, mm. output things are, you know, all the, what the sockets are, as you'd expect. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. I'm looking forward to playing PC games on my couch forever. <laughs> now. Is that sale over now? The sale is over. Shit. So it's gone back up to full price. Yeah, it'll go down again, won't it? Yeah, plus, you know, they've got, they do a Christmas sale, don't they, on Steam? And I would guess that. At, at this point, I just assume there's always, always a sale. It's always a sale, yeah. We had Halloween, then Black Friday. Mm. And there'll probably be a, probably be a, Boxing Day one or Christmas Day one or something like that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But keep an eye on it. I mean, um, I, I was annoyed actually. I, I was going to buy Mad Max and I forgot and that was going for five pounds and that would have been a perfect Steam Link couch game. Yeah. So that, this is what I'm, this is how I'm looking at my Steam library now, how I'm looking at the store. That is, that is a perfect sideways game. Yeah. I apparently it's better than a seven out of ten. I always assumed it was. Yeah, I hear that a lot actually. I mean, apparently it's got a really, really lovely world that's mm. worth driving around. It's really fun to just drive around it, even if the, the rest of the, you know, mechanics are quite, derivative there's lots of crafting systems and boring combat but yeah but it doesn't matter when you sideways exactly if you sideways go around a desert be mad max that's awesome yeah yeah everything's better when you sideways (laughs) it's it's very true yeah uh yeah so that's that's been my pc gaming recently i've not played many new games actually um a bit of assassin's creed origins but i've already fallen out of love with that after about seven hours right (laughs) i immediately hit a wall with it and it's like oh <laughs> you look at the map and he's like, "Oh my god, that's like the rest of my life." That's the in danger that when you are that sideways, then you can go the rest of the way it's to sleep. Very true. Easily. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just think oh, I'd rather get into Dishonored to a game that mm. is surely going to reward me much more for less time. Yeah, and yes, yeah. Although actually, from what Alex and Tom have said, I, I think Origins is charmed. Mm. Was that a game you were playing through the the, the link to the big? The big oh game? yeah, it's a good point actually. I tried to play it through the link, um, but. It gets very funny if you're not playing a Steam game. Aha. Uh-huh. That's definitely worth mentioning. It's, uh, yeah, so. It is worth mentioning because my thoughts were just 100% Star Wars at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's an origin game. Yeah. Um, I need to ex- test that a little bit more because, um, it might have just been that you play and maybe origin games work better with this. Obviously, you could start up the game in and stream it to the, the link so the game will appear on your screen completely fine. It's just whether or not it will recognize your controller. And whether or not it will kind of like automatically change all the controls right. to a controller, which is the problem I had with Origins, where it was weird actually. I, I started playing Origins and it sort of thought that the controller was a mouse. So you could move around the cursor with like the right, the right stick and then like left click was on right trigger. And I don't know at what point 
either device decided to do that. <laughs> um, but that was how it was. Uh, so yeah, definitely be wary of that. I even tried um, launching it via Steam. You know how you can mm. launch non-Steam games in Steam. So I, I tried adding it just in case that would somehow help it along. But uh, no, that definitely that wasn't so good. Mm. <laughs> That's a shame. a shame. That's probably worth bearing in mind as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. You're playing and play. It did make me want just like a Gennaro device that just mm. does that, but without the kind of partisan Steam integration. Um, yeah. Just a kind of third party interface that lets you do this that looks a lot like Steam Big Picture but doesn't tie you into that infrastructure and lets you play any any game you want. Mm. Do you think those will be your Christmas games then, given that we're winding down? Because yeah. there's not much else to come out this year, is there? Nope, it's pretty much done. I think Destiny 2 Curse of Cyrus will take up some time. Mm. Probably hit, it hit that quite hard for a couple of weeks. I don't expect that to be a huge amount of stuff, really, in terms of, of like hours to get through content yeah because they tend to be fairly light on content but you know, give you lots of hooks for returning um after that like definitive original sin 2 is probably the big one i want to hit more because it feels like there's so much that game that is cool and exciting yeah it's great it's given me that i've been playing quite a lot of it uh while i was until star wars came along and made me not have to think thoughts um <laughs> but it, it it has given me a bit of the old big town fear yeah that's certainly what i've been having with it um like i i definitely i i thought it didn't do that i think we may have even said on a podcast previously that i thought it maybe avoided it by feeling so replayable mm. but now the more time i'm spending with it and the more my more it feels like a big enormous thing big enormous thing the more i want to make sure i saw everything or you know what i mean like mm. gave everything a fair shake so i'm really struggling to like move on when i should probably move on and yeah worrying about going too far down a quest line and changing things you know that kind of thing yeah definitely i'm still stuck on the first island I gather that is just like a tutorial bit basically compared to the size of the rest of the game. Yeah, like I'm basically at the end of the first time, like I can leave. Okay. But I now have that thing of like, oh, yeah. should I? see everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oof, gosh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it is also great. So there's that. Hooray. Tom. Hello. I think we should do some questions. Let's do it. From, from where? Where? Listeners who have emailed them in. Mm. That's where they come from. Okay, I'm well. sick of this charade. <laughs> we finally solved the mystery. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't come from questions. That's absurd. <laughs> Infantile nonsense, Marsh Davies. <laughs> was it Marsh who started it? Probably. Okay, Everything else on this podcast a, was him. Let's all blame Marsh. It's not podcast is him. <laughs> Marsh. Marsh. Anyway, uh, ooh, just a little bit of... <laughs> need to get the thing off my chest also i live in his house please let me live here uh. um anyway our first question comes from jeff i don't know why i exclaimed jeff but i did <laughs> who writes is pubga a roguelike and the answer is probably yeah yeah actually yeah uh yeah lots of repeat restarts there's just a, enough persistence in the gear you're earning to sort of like sometimes yeah, normally I'd, I'd normally i'd sort of uh, do a face uh, is something a uh, something else mm. genre type questions but actually thinking about it it's a game where death is for the sake of a session permanent mm. where it's fundamentally about starting with nothing and acquiring gear in order to defeat a succession of enemies yeah I mean, uh, it doesn't have procedurally generated terrain, but it has altering tra- altered terrain with each playthrough, thanks to the the landscape <laughs> of gun attachments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's quite. I mean, the only thing that is multiplayer really—that's sort of the difference between uh, other roguelikes. But you could still say it's also interesting it's not. Crystal it's design. not. You know, depends on pedant, pedantic you want to be. It's not technically grid based. No, that is true. If you want to go all the way back to rogue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's as much a roguelike. As most things that carry we call that roguelikes name. these days, yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, uh, good shout. 
a good observation. I don't know who that helps. That's genre wang. <laughs> <laughs> that is genre wang. And I'm amazed that isn't already a phrase. Yeah, well, work. we can make it work. Yeah. Rotate the boards. <laughs> uh, it's time for John. John writes, do a film podcast. As a patronizer, I would like to, I would like to hear this. Yours, John. That's a good idea, I think. It's yeah. Just, I think it's yeah. starting to write films and stuff. Yeah, we'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so at the moment, I can't do any more podcasts than <laughs> I currently do. Yeah. No one wants that. It's a question for the new year, I would say. Yes. Yeah, yes. If we, you know, we've got quite a lot on for a relatively small number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, one-off movie specials wouldn't necessarily be a That's nice idea. bad idea. Yeah, Star Wars. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> Actually, though, maybe, maybe. Just floating it out there. Maybe. Might even get... Hmm. Hmm. I just had a cool idea. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a good suggestion. Yeah, do let us know if this particular thing should be interesting. Given that we've established that this is a network dedicated to PC games, specifically the console game Bloodborne, uh, <laughs> miniatures games, and ITV's television series Pyro, <laughs> there's not... We don't have... There's no three-line here, is there? Yeah, we've decided... We don't know what content is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just talk. We just talk about things. So if there's something you'd like us to talk about that you think you'd enjoy listening to, then let us know. We do have... Um, actually, on this note, I have already teased this to the community, so this isn't news. We do have something very different oh, yeah. coming very soon, mm. um, which is the first ever one-off Crate and Crowbar Dungeons and Dragons live play podcast special. CNC does D and D. Yeah, CNC D and D. I didn't really like CNC does D and D because it sounds slightly kinky. <laughs> All right with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, but nonetheless, we're doing this as a Christmas special. We've had people um, suggest in the past that they'd like to hear this, and obviously, oh God knows, there are a billion D and D podcasts in the world, and a lot of them are excellent, mm-hmm. which is terrifying. Um, I don't know if we have the 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 bandwidth if that pipe's big enough to stuff so many goblins in it um but a christmas special that will probably be like six hours long (laughs) (laughs) i look forward to this we're doing it this sunday aren't we we are doing it this sunday um we've done a we've done a little teaser session Mm -hmm. basically for our benefit to make sure everyone's up to speed and things and hopefully it'll be fun um i am dming it and i've written obviously the create the scenario not written the story because it's it's open man Make your decisions. Find your own truth. Um, but it will involve uh, Tom Senior, uh, Tom Francis, and Philip War in their Dungeons & Dragons alter egos, which are definitely not what you expect. No, it's, it's gone some interesting I did enjoy, directions. <laughs> I enjoyed the speculation about yeah. who everyone's playing. Yeah. And everyone has been wrong. 100%. 100% wrong. Well, all the ones I've is, seen on Discord have been wrong. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, I will say this. Uh the people someone made an image of someone sweating over the decision whether to press the wizard button or the bard button for whoever my player character would be yeah. and i would say that's completely right <laughs> so yep. good job kane that's i think that was good. He made that uh, was it kane if it wasn't kane sorry mm. to have made it it was very good sounds like a thing kane might do yes um but no that's the other i thought to i don't know exactly when we're going to put that up yet it will be over christmas mm. so yeah because it's a festive theme um our next question comes from Duncan, who writes, 
Dear Crute and Tauda, I may have crossed over into your other podcast there. I'm a gamer of a certain age. Okay, 53. So my Twitch skills are non-existent, or at least I Twitch, but not necessarily when it's ideal. Which is a <laughs> very much a dad joke, Duncan. Congratulations. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, it's good. Um, anyway, rather than rambling on like an older person, when I'm not playing games on Easy for the Story, hello Mass Effect and Skyrim, I found that I now play games for relaxation. My current favorite being Banished, honorable mentions for Subnautica and Submerged. Do you ever find yourself playing wind-down games that require minimal interaction and are just beautiful to watch? Kind regards, Duncan. Um, I want to do this out because we kind of touched on this this episode, actually. Yeah. Like, this is what... I feel like this is... We, we sort of talked about this in a slightly uh, pejorative context with Civ and mm-hmm. its ev- evolution into a kind of toy, I think. Yeah. Um, but it is also kind of what I've gotten out of EA's big space person shooty bang shoot bang time mm. is just the spectacle and it's not relaxing it's very loud but it's sort of just i just pl- i don't play it to worry about things like game balance and what it all means for the industry i play it because i just love the sound a tie fighter makes yeah and that's, a, that's a great reason and it's it's interesting to say because maybe my expectations for it are wrong maybe the design uh idea behind civ now is to create that gentle lovely Mm. Sunday experience and that they've done a really good job of doing that but I'm frustrated because I want more of a challenge and I want things that it isn't really setting out to do yeah yeah because it's not like I do find that I tend to pick if I am if I am at a neutral stress level mm. I'll pick games for myself that are stressful mm. like I'll play something competitive or I'll play an RPG with lots of hard decisions to make or I mean, something like that but as work and life gets stressful sometimes there's nothing wrong in a game as toy, right? Yeah. Like, there, there are some uh, games that we do this very, very well, stuff like Proteus, mm. which is, uh, you just wander through a landscape and it procedurally generates soundtrack based on stuff that's kind of have flying off around you and you, you're sort of causing it and you're sort of, you know, just receiving it. Uh, and there are quite a few kind of meditative experiences like that, that indie developers particularly have made. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Even in, in the mainstream, there are, there are, uh, I don't know how I think of them really. Just kind of brain dead games. The, like, I think of Dynasty Warriors like this. I remember writing a while I loved the PC Gamer about the, 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 the brilliance of mindless games. Games that are just so dumb. You just go out and hit stuff and that's just really satisfying. And it's, it's that toy thing. You've, you've had a good interaction, interaction for 20 minutes. Um, one thing, a death punch. That's another good mm. one. Uh, just these little kind of time filling games that are just take your mind off things and are actually very nice and entertaining in their own way. Yeah. That is a, that's a, Something that like mobile phone games do mm. is their primary business model all the time. Yeah. It's just something to click on, thing to fiddle with. And that yeah. can be pretty bad. It can be good. Those are the two things it can be. It's <laughs> another one of them neutral takes from me, I'm afraid. <laughs> what turns a man neutral? <laughs> uh why am I like this? But no, I, I, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of that recently. I think, you know, when things calm down, you know, over Christmas, it'll be back to Divinity and it'll be back to mm, the harder stuff, the hard stuff. We're getting them hard oh, yeah. skeleton decisions made and gritty dice rolls. Yeah. I love it. Mm. Um, next question comes from Marius who writes, dear common and uncommon. Uh, I don't usually play loot based games, but I've just taken the plunge into destiny Two and it's complex systems of colors and numbers and learning to invest my sense of self-worth and my gradually increasing power level. What is the most excited you have been about a number ticking upwards in a game? Cheers, Marius. So I, I thought about this in total silence for a bit, as did you, Tom. Mm. I don't know where you ended up with it. We'll find out. We'll in, find out. <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> when you thought about it a bit more. 
So yes. I realized that, so numbers going up is nice, but the most excited Destiny 1's trial system, which Destiny 2 has as well, mm. but it hasn't been quite as successful for me, where uh, originally in Destiny 1, in order to get to the lighthouse, which was an exclusive social area that will be in the expansion, I think, that's coming out next week. Cool. Um, you, in order to get there, you had to go nine wins and zero losses in a row in Trials of Osiris, which was the most hardcore PvP experience in the game. Mm. And uh, me and two friends did it exactly once. Uh, going nine, you got a special emblem for it. It really was like the um, at that time, particularly the the most difficult PvP challenge in the game, and in most games, really, you have to beat the matchmaking odds that spectacularly. Yeah, uh, I love the little note in the lore that that's kind of the purpose of it. They're trying to find <laughs> guardians that defy probability. Yeah, cool. and so that's a, a little bit of nice design and, and storytelling. And, um and watching that number creep up is was great because it combined success obviously it's great to win but every time you won you got agonizingly closer to the big win that really matters no i know but at that so every time you win losing matters more mm. if it happens and when you get to 8 and 0 having the like actual like courage to play that ninth game is the almost the hardest thing you know what i mean yeah no, because I mean. there's there is a gulf of utter heartbreak between an 8-1 result and yeah. a 9-0 result Damn. you know it's like it fucking matters it takes a long stakes. time to get there these are you know multi-round games in each case so right? mm-hmm. this is that nine and that eight and that eight and oh result is the product of at least an hour and a half of play mm. and without making a mistake and then you have to do it one more time <laughs> and it's when when we did it that uh that ninth game was actually not that bad. We got, you know, one of those kind of not lucky, but like one of those ones where it wasn't like the, the most terrifying experience. Like we yeah. won the first round and then he got that kind of like, Oh, we can do this. And, uh, my friend, I was playing it with two people, both called Matt because I have two of every friend, like Noah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, that's true. That's not true at all. There's so many Toms in the arc. That's true. <laughs> um, we're taking over the arc. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, but one Matt, uh, Matt Lee's actually, uh, of Shut and Sit Down and, and Cool Ghost and stuff, uh, didn't actually realize that there was a special reward for going nine and zero. Oh, I right. just get through that entire thing completely blissfully unaware of the stakes and me and other Matt were, were shitting ourselves. <laughs> and it was like watching it tick up to like nine and zero and the special thing was just, obviously it's more than numbers and number just represents an achievement at that point. Mm. But I don't know, maybe it's not the spirit of the question because the question's kind of about grinding and stats and things, but it was really like, Oh, it was just pure, pure feelings, yeah. pure triumph, and bellowing and dancing around the living room, mm. still wearing my wireless PlayStation headset <laughs> so that everyone could hear me dance. Yeah. Ah, Good times. Exhilarating. Good destiny. Um, I would answer with Final Fantasy VII. And the problem with uh, making numbers go up in Final Fantasy VII when you, when you hit things is that there is a limit to it. And the limit is 9,999 damage with any given hit. Hmm. And uh, if you wanted to beat the best stuff and do it in the most time-efficient way, you have to find ways around that limit of 9999 damage. And uh, the way you do it, there's an ultimate summon called Knights of the Round, but it takes fucking forever. It's like 10 minutes long. It takes 10 minutes. Loads of, you know, the enemy is sent into uh, an abyss 
and giant enormous knights come and hit the enemy for 10 minutes. <laughs> That's the summon. It's the best summon in the game. Um, but what if your one hit with a sword for one of your dudes does 9,999 damage, and then you put quad slash on them, that means they do four hits in like 10 seconds. Suddenly you're like up to nearly 40,000 damage. Uh, but you've only got that one piece of material. So you, the next person along in your line with your team of three, you give them mime and mime copies quad slash and you make sure they're powered up. So they go in and do almost four, 40,000 damage. And then if you level up a material enough over time, it duplicates, it splits into two. And so you've got two mimes. And now you've got a chain, baby. <laughs> uh, 40,000 damage. Yourself a damage stew. 40,000 damage, 40,000 damage. And you just do, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, uh, of damage in like three minutes. And that, that's, that's the, the, the secret pro strat of Final Fantasy VII. That's how you beat all of the best stuff. That's, that's the final form of number weighing. That's right. <laughs> and that's, that's the nerdiest I've got with making numbers go up in games or not go up. Stay at, stay at 9999, but repeat and in, in the most time efficient manner until everything is dead. Good. That's yeah. a good math story. Mm. Oh. Lovely maths. Mm. What a game. Oh. Our next question comes from Tom who writes, hi gang, I'm becoming increasingly restricted to gaming on my laptop on the sofa rather than locking myself away in my study with a desktop. This has changed the kinds of games I'm able to link sync time into with a great focus on those that don't require any kind of sound and we play with just trackpad and keyboard. Any ideas of games that might be suitable for this? I've sunk hundreds of hours into the binding of Isaac, but really want to find something else to try. Thanks and keep on podding. Tom. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought of Darkest Dungeon. That's a good one. That's a very good suggestion for this. You could, yeah, because you can kind of glance down at it. It's not going to necessarily consume all your attention and you don't need sound and everything's very easily explained on the on the screen and if you like binding of isaac that means you like going down a really deep hole and failing and that <laughs> darkest is Dungeon's dun- perfect. Darkest Dungeon. uh 80 days is another nice one mm. uh again it's got nice sound design to it but it's not essential to it and with the trackpad there's no kind of time pressure to click on things it's just a kind of adventure story game uh, which is beautifully evoc- evocatively written lovely world and what's was was the other one i thought of i can't remember ftl now. ftl there you go that's yeah. a good one I feel like everyone's played FTL, but you haven't. That's a really good choice. Yeah. Uh, Invisible Ink. Yeah. This nice. is going to be just like a greatest hits of like hmm. indie strategy games we have loved. Yeah. But anything with the pause mechanic, anything with turn based. Yes. It's good. Um, depends what kind of laptop you've got. Yeah. But if you, so if you have a laptop with a big enough screen, um, I would definitely recommend, um, things like Pillars of Eternity and Divinity for this. Okay. Like that's kind of relies on your ability to play comfortably a game with a lot of text. Mm. But actually those are perfect. Like, cause, they have nice sound and music and some voice acting and stuff, but you don't need it. No, no Those are text experiences first and foremost. And you're always pausing on spacebar whenever you need to move around. Yeah. And so stuff. if, if you desire something a little bit like, like a big game, like a substantial game, then I'd say that's a yeah. good chill. A good bet. Divinity as well. If, if, it, if you will run Divinity 2, then that's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yes, it does depend on the kind of laptop. Also, otherwise, actually, I know, like my, I didn't play very many games when I was at university because I was so busy, but, um, N was a perennial oh, yeah. for me, like mm. the original N. And I know N just got a new N. The N plus plus now is yeah, and that's art on PC. That's very easily just to mount arrow keys and spacebar kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, very good, pretty rad. Yeah, pretty different. Right. If if you know, you're not just looking for a ruminative, yeah, thinky time, but indeed a running around jumpy time. Super Two Meat Boys, games. Super Meat Boys, very good on WAS controls as well. I yeah. found. If you like your Edmund McMillan, yeah. If you, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's loads of good games, basically. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, good. Our next question comes from, 
uh, David, who writes about Assassin's Creed Oranges. Tom mentioned his discovery of his own sacrilege, killing sacred crocodiles in AC Oranges and then Bayek learning that they were sacred. Do you think they could just adjust this mechanic to make poaching illegal and it gains anger from a faction? Killing in self-defense doesn't count. Spawn a devout croc lover behind you when you kill a sacred creature to avoid the no one saw me do this so it's okay thinking. The faction hassles you when angry, like adding Far Cry 2 outposts, but keeping them happy means you have fewer resource sources. I love the idea of giving actions consequences instead of being filler in the world, but angry factions could be annoying. Thoughts, David. Um, so I kind of think the final part of this is the kicker, mm. which is that... So... Actions having consequences is all fine and good. But games like AC and Far Cry revolve a lot around the resource mechanic. Mm. And if, you, if you're telling the player that if you want the good hat, you're going to get some of that crocodile tail, that sounds wrong, <laughs> <laughs> then, um, then you are just making the player annoyed, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think this is... This rarely works well, this type of faction system. Like, first of all, it's quite difficult to communicate to the player why a faction is angry with you and how to fix it. And, and it, this happens all the time with like Oblivion's guards and Skyrim's guards and stuff. Like, you know, it's so arbitrary when, you know, they'll attack you and when they won't in some circumstances. And it can be quite hard to tell why <laughs> something has gone wrong. And if, you know, if, as you say, if the game's encouraging you to kill crocodiles and then you do it in the wrong, you know, slightly the wrong bit of the river, you know, this is how games uh, like look at these things it'll be like oh, have you killed it in this sector so you could kill a crocodile uh, over here but then kill a crocodile 20 feet away and the factional anger there and they won't mm. over here you know what i mean it's that kind of binary way that games tend to look at this stuff is it doesn't really work well with that type of faction mechanic yeah the other thing as well is that games like far cry and assassin's creed oranges uh i actually tried to say origins then and it just came out like that because that's not a real word no one's ever successfully said it uh so these games have very clearly delineated uh stealth zones or or capture zones that are marked in red on the map and if you go into those zones you're in trouble and you know that you've got to avoid being spotted and uh angry factions totally breaks consistency of that type of messaging as well so you know and a whole block of the map would become a red zone because you'd killed a crocodile uh, which is kind of a disaster for that type of open world game you've really got to understand you know when you're safe to wander around when you're not yeah and i think it plays against something uh which could happily be redesigned i think but these games assassin's creed games do have this sense that over the course of the game you will master the map yeah you're not going to actually change the map you're mm-hmm. just going to eat it yeah. You should eat that, man. One crocodile Just, at a time. You're one crocodile at a time, and it's going to become yours, and you're going to become the biggest man. <laughs> yeah. And the world will be devoid of icons, because you'll have swallowed them, all of them, <laughs> one by one. Missions, quests, tasks, collectibles, everything. So there's no point to nom, anything. Nom, 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 nom. Mm. That's how it works. And in that context, having some of them be things you're not supposed to eat kind of plays against the game's logic. Mm. Something that would be more interesting for a game like this as a whole would be a more simulated environment where no one's going to get explicitly like angry at you for doing a particular thing but it genuinely has a consequence not a consequence in terms of like this man is cross because you killed a crocodile but there are fewer crocodiles now and that crocodile mattered and if crocodiles are endangered in some way right then they become harder to find later on and that meaningfully affects your progress in some way but that is at that point more of a survival game where continuing to be able to craft the things you want means not over farming or over hunting Mm. And maybe that affects NPCs in some way. And you know what I mean? Like there's a definitely a kind of simulated environment where 
you could create a crocodile leather shortage <laughs> that meant no one has cool shoes and they can't have the status quo concert in, I don't know what game I'm creating, <laughs> but like that's, um, you know, that's the kind of reaction that I think would surprise people in a positive way. As long as the, the logic and the, the messaging of the rest of the game told people, expect there to be interesting consequences for your decisions in terms of hunting. Mm. If it was just like, eat as many antelope as you like, but we're going to arbitrarily punish you for the crocodile thing. It's just going to feel like, but you told me that I was king of the world. Yeah, yeah. And then toys get ejected from prams and... It's all very sad. Yeah. And you start a Reddit thread. (laughs) Indeed. Then you start a petition. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do both. (laughs) Go wild. Treat yourself. You are the king of the world. Treat yourself. Video games have told you this. Eat every crocodile you can find. Wise words. Yeah. That's maybe a good, actually, you know, if you are ever really so, so frustrated by a game's reward system that you find yourself compelled to uh, start a Reddit thread and a petition. Uh, sometimes it might be a good idea before you do that to just attempt fighting a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Have just a, good luck. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, our next question comes from Henry, who writes, Dear crates, crows, ands, and bars. Okay. He tried. <laughs> I recently finished Emily is Away 2, a neat little chatting simulator which combines a touching coming-of-age story with a faithful recreation of the AOL Instant Messenger. Hmm. It also uses real links to a Facebook-like page and a YouTube-like video service, hosted on the developer's website. All of this faithfully creates the late 90s-slash-early 2000s pre-smartphone online messaging experience. This, of course, is a very specific thing, and it's nothing a book or movie would or could ever address. So it would be lost if it wasn't conserved in this game. Can you think of other possible examples of games preserving a bit of history or era-specific experience? Uh, thanks and keep podding those casts henry from germany um so the game sounds super interesting yeah so there's um sibylle also is essentially explicitly this it's also about a chat experience Mm. of of a different era um uh her story is a simulation of using a computer that has games on it and some work you have to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's much more than that but yeah yeah um I think there's two halves of this for me. One is that obviously there are, there are a handful of games, only a handful that explicitly set out to recreate an experience from a particular era. Mm. That's one thing. And then there are games that are explicitly retro and therefore are setting out to recreate the experience of playing a particular game from a particular time. Yeah. And then there are games that still are still around and offer a kind of unique way of re-experiencing something that used to be, uh, used to be normal. So like I, I, I'm fascinated by, and I've, I've, so I write, I write the their back section for PC Gamer now. Mm. Um, and that's the, uh, basically two pages of jokes loosely masquerading as retro games. But yeah. retro doesn't really mean much now because games never died. It really. was, from, it was a, a holdover from the days when, uh, companies used to do boxed re-releases of games and you'd sort of re-review them in a jokey way. And that's, it's so long gone that the it's sort of melted no and become this sort of daft yeah. kind of two yeah. pages. It's good. It's good fun. But, um, one thing I've been doing recently, not like as a thing, but just because I find it endlessly fascinating is digging my way through all of the old Half-Life, um, mods. So TFC and mm. Deathmatch Classic and Day of Defeat. And, or, and like all those games that were such staples of my adolescence and kind of defined online gaming for me. Like yeah. online gaming was those games and a handful of MMOs really. Mm. And what's I find really kind of 
weird is that you can totally still play them and people are playing them like you can get a game of day of defeat today if you want um like at any given time about 11 people are playing tfc but i feel like a profound kinship with each of those people yeah. <laughs> like and that's it's not quite you know it's not like an explicitly like this game is setting out to recreate the digital experience of a particular era but if you played online shooters in the early noughties late 90s i challenge you to pl- boot one of them up and not be not be immediately transported to an era of console commands and <laughs> 56k dialogue connections and you know yeah. what i mean like yeah, something yeah. about the interfaces and the the net graphs and the the noises and that that um that sound that Half Life makes all the time right. that like I'm 13 again as soon as I hear it and mm. it's very effective nostalgia no, that's awesome. which is not just the same as just reinstalling an old game it's almost like it's still there somehow it's like still alive yeah yeah that's awesome yeah c- contrasting that with something like Stories Untold which is in, mm. like couching games within a nostalgic kind of construct which harks back to like 1980s. Horror, yeah, that's an interesting. interesting yeah, like that doesn't it? by way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. We, yeah, but it puts you on. A, it puts you. In front, I've not not really played it yet, but it puts you in front of a telly, doesn't it? And it puts you. Well, so it has four parts. Right. The first one is a uh, text adventure like Zork, mm. but they are not all like that. It's very good stories and told. You should definitely play. Yeah, it. I'll, yeah. It's on the list. Not necessarily a good steam link couch game it's very much a because mm. it's, it's interesting because it is a simulation of being sat at a desk yeah everything you are doing in it with one exception involves the character is also sat at a desk mm, which cool. is kind of like an interesting yeah. way of that's interesting yeah that's neat. yeah real good um i'd be inter- I, i'd be really interested to see if more games explore this idea of the internet at different points in its life yeah right i'd like to see that yeah it's something we sort of teased out with, with Hackmed a little bit in some of the most recent stuff, but that's that, you know, well, actually I won't say anything because uh, people might get lore out of it, but, um, and God knows you're going to have that. Um, but there's, there's a, there's a, you know, uh, uh, futuristic element to that. It's sort of projecting forwards as well as back and therefore it can't kind of fully reference that but there's something about old interfaces and things that are still quite good for kind of evoking how things mm. used to be nice yeah hmm i do thoroughly recommend revisiting the early noughties though in, mm. in video games because it's definitely like it's not years that we're particularly nostalgic for yet no one no one is yet nostalgic for that stuff in terms yeah. of like remaking it but uh like the nostalgia engine has caught up with early 90s fps's like doom and things like new doom being yes. explicitly explicitly like let's make that again yeah but it hasn't caught up with uh, original count. It hasn't caught up with Ricochet, <laughs> and maybe it never will. <laughs> maybe it never should. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> so that is all of the questions we've got time for tonight. Uh, if you'd like to uh, send us a question, do email us at questions at crowbar dot com. If we didn't read out your question, we do keep track of things, fold them forward, wrap them up. Partly it's, it's usually because we don't have the specific people on the pod don't have an answer. Indeed. If you've sent us something. Yep. Um, I would say, uh, as ever, that, uh, shorter questions are always easier for us to, A, usually find answers for, mm. but also B, spend time on because we get more done. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing to think about if you're sending us a question, but do send us a question. Uh, it's, sometimes I regret that we don't have a forum anymore simply because it'd be another good place for people to leave their, yeah. their contribution. So maybe that's something I should try and fix. Wait, I'm not going to commit to that. <laughs> no. Discord's great. Discord's great. Um, speaking of which, if you'd like to hang out with our community, 
on Discord. You can find them uh, via the link on the website, which is on the top bar and will be in the show notes for this episode. You can also uh, catch our stuff on YouTube. Uh, most of our podcasts go up there and back us on Patreon if you like any uh, support that's granted to this podcast, which is very gratefully received, kind of goes to help us do things like Bloodborne and Pyro and Minis Monthly and very imminently CNC D&D special and all sorts of other things. We're, you know, really appreciate if people do choose to chip us a few quid per pod. You find out more about that, patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Otherwise, the most helpful thing is simply, uh, t- if you like the pod, telling people that you like the pod. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's just nice. nice. Sometimes yeah. you can do that in the form of an iTunes review. That's always pleasant. But broadly speaking, just shout it out a window. You honk it out. Just honk it. Just honk it. Uh, if you would like to, uh, follow us as individuals, um, although I should say, I've stopped using Twitter. So they're doing this, this feels like such a tradition that I'll do it. Hmm. But I have deleted all my bookmarks and the app off my phone. <laughs> so you can follow me on Twitter at C Thurston. He's not there anymore. Yeah. I suspect I will still use it to post links to things that I'm working on and, uh, you know, uh, links to articles that I'm working on or something like that. So there may be some value in that, hmm. but I'm probably not going to reply to tweets or like actually pay attention to it hmm. because yeah, I'm fishing. I wonder if. Twitter may be bad <laughs> for one's uh, broad happiness is something I've been considering Reason- lately. Reasonable question. Mm. Uh, anyway, if, you know, but if you feel otherwise, then I'm on Twitter at C-Thurston. Tom? Uh, PCU Ludo Eligio. Cool. Lovely. Uh, thanks for listening, thanks everybody. everybody. That's what we do now, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks to Marsh. <laughs> Marsh. <laughs>